Thank you, Irene. Welcome. Good afternoon. It's great to see you. Um, I hope you're doing well. In 1997 at Soul Survivor, I bought this book by Mike Bickle. Some of you might have heard of him called Passion for Jesus. And um, at 17 years old, I bought this book and never read it. And um, a few weeks ago, I picked it up off the shelf, having seen it over the years, um, and thought I probably should read that. I tried to read it a couple of times and just thought, I can't really get into this. And then a few weeks ago, I picked it up again and just found such gold and incredible things in it of the nature of God and the goodness of God in connecting with him. It's just been fantastic. But I picked up that book when I was 17 at Soul Survivor, mostly because of the title and some sense of a passion for Jesus. Somebody who was passionate for Jesus was what I wanted. It's who I wanted to be because of who God is and what he's like. And I believe that if we connect to a true view of what God is like and our image of him is good, it causes a passion inside of us. It causes something to shift in our lives. It gives us energy and zeal for the things of the kingdom of God and for Jesus Christ himself. And so today I want to talk about really a sense of our passion for Jesus through what is our image of God. How do you view God? If you answer the question, what's God like? What's his nature? What's his character? Is God good? What's he like? I wonder what begins to come to mind. What kind of things do we think about? You see, Jesus is everything to me. And I wonder what view we have of Jesus. What is he like? Do we have a Hollywood movie view of Jesus? Or do we have a true view of what Jesus is really like? These words are going to come up on the screen um, from Adam Clark, who was a theologian for um, the Wesleys a couple of hundred years ago. He describes God like this, the eternal, independent and self-existent being, the being whose purpose and actions spring from himself without foreign motive or influence, he who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences infinitely perfect and eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing that has been made, illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence, known fully only by himself because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. In a word, a being who from his, be, from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived and from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just, right and kind. Tom, if you could leave that on the screen just for a moment or two. I'd love you to look through those words and those sentences. Are there things there that in that description of God that you just love or you connect with? Are there things that raises questions, perhaps about um, the nature of God or what he's like? For me, as I think about Jesus, I think, him as, think about him as the kindest one that I know. I'm often thanking God for his kindness towards me. I remember the first time I heard this statement that Jesus is the happiest man in the universe. And I remember at that moment thinking, is that true? Is that true? I wonder if, you know, do we believe Jesus is the happiest man in the universe? Dallas Willard, who's one of my favorite writers on discipleship and following Jesus, was once asked in an interview, What's your, what, if you had one word to describe Jesus, how would you describe him? The one word he used was relaxed. Relaxed. I wonder if that's the word that you would use to describe Jesus. How do you picture him upon his throne? Do you picture him as relaxed? The happiest man in the universe, as kind, as good. Just close your eyes for a moment. I'd love you to answer the question for yourself. If you had one word to describe Jesus, how would you describe him? What would you pick? 
Would it be just or pure or wise or king or powerful leader? What word would you use? And uh, I just want you to hold that in mind because you can open your eyes now. I just want you to hold that in mind because the words that we pick describe something of the nature of God that has been revealed to us, but they also potentially are places where we box God in and say, that is what God is like. I've experienced him in that way. That's the only way that he is. Or perhaps we limit him into certain spaces. But I just wonder what would begin to take place for so many of us if we began to get an upgraded or a shift in our view of who God is and what he's like. This is what God has been speaking to me about. He's been saying to me, Paul, it's time to shift your view of me. It's time to increase your view of who you think I am. You see, there's times that we limit God based on what we've experienced before. There's times that we limit him based on our own fears or our own understanding. But he's simply too good. He's simply too great and powerful and magnificent for us to limit or box or to put him in a container. I believe God wants to take us on a journey as a live Lincoln into the next season of our lives as we move into 2020. And I believe that um, Lamry's got a, um, a word, some of you will know Lamry, Grayson Lamry. Lamry's got a word that he believes 2020 is the year of the presence of God. And I believe that is absolutely fantastic. But I believe if we're going to move into what God has for us, it requires a shifting and a development of our view of God so that it can be in line with what he wants to do. You see, God wants to do more, but often our view of him limits what he is able to do. At this time, it seems there's a, an increase in the prophetic words over the city of Lincoln, an acceleration of words of get ready, it's time. Get ready. God is on the move. And that's one of the reasons we want to do this 38 hours of prayer. I know it's random, 38 hours of prayer. It just works with the prayer meetings and gives us a bit of time. But we want to increase what we're doing because we believe that as we pray, God moves. It's all, God's always first. He stirs us to pray. So he's first. He stirs us. We pray. He moves. It's just a brilliant pattern. He then moves, stirs us again. We pray again. And so prayer has to be something that is part of the center of what we're doing. And so we want to increase that each time. So 24 hours last time, 38 hours this time, we want to increase that. You can sign up at the connection area to get involved. It's going to be a great time in the prayer room here, connecting with Jesus. It's a kindness of God to initiate those things in us, I believe. Now we've got to get a big view of who he is. I believe this is a journey that God wants to take us on. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look through Exodus and three um, Bible passages from the book of Exodus to look at Moses' life and how God um, introduces himself to Moses and then increases his view and upgrades his view of God in order to do the next thing that God is um, calling Moses to and the nation to. We can see through his life a real development of his understanding of God. So turn in your Bibles or you can see on the screen to Exodus chapter 3. And um, we're going to read a few verses from this book. And this book really is all about the people of Israel who have been captured and trapped in Egypt for 430 years, beginning to break free. And so God comes to Moses and, and, and begins to speak to him about setting his people free. He says this. So this is um, Exodus chapter 3, starting from verse 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. 
So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look. I just want to take a few moments just to look at this and what God is doing in this moment as God reveals himself to Moses and begins to speak to him. So here we pick up the story where Moses, who is an Israelite, um, was brought up in um, the Pharaoh's palace. So he's brought up as an Egyptian, but he's really an Israelite. And um, as he grows up, he begins to connect with his people, the Israelites, and he wants to fight for them in slavery. Now he takes matters into his own hands and ends up killing an Egyptian. And so flees Egypt and runs to um, his to his wife's family in Midian. He escapes there, goes out into the wilderness to get away from the consequences of what he's done. And so he's run away from his heritage, his history, and his line. He's run away from all of those things. He's gone to hide in the wilderness. Now, there are times in our lives, too, where we go into the wilderness. Sometimes there are times in our lives that actually we've done something and we withdraw ourselves. Sometimes, as we see with Jesus, the Spirit sends us into wilderness times. And if you've ever been in a wilderness time, you'll know what I mean, because wilderness times really just look like those periods of time where at one moment it seems like connecting with God was fun and easy and great, and then all of a sudden it feels dry and difficult, like there's almost a cast iron sky above us. And the things we're trying to talk about to God don't seem to connect or to get through. There's something shifts in those moments. Now we can spend a long time looking at what's the reason for that? Has God taken us into that? Or perhaps it's something that we've done. But I believe a better question is to ask God, what do you want to do in this season? You see, for Jesus, the Spirit of God sent him out into the wilderness, and the Bible tells us when he returned, he returned in the power of God. God wanted to reveal his power to Jesus. And so Jesus returned in that. For Moses, we see in this moment, he's taken himself into the wilderness and then God is getting hold of him and then saying, God, I'm going to, uh, Moses, I'm going to get you and you're going to be the one that's going to deliver my people. You think you've run away from who you really are. You see, God, when he starts, he introduces himself to Moses as the God of his father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a man, Moses, who wouldn't have known who his real father was. And yet God places him in time and places him in a story and says, I am the God of your father. You're known. I've got you. Your past, your present, your future are secure in me. It doesn't matter what has taken place. I'm the one who has got you, the ancient of days. Now, when we're in wilderness seasons or wilderness experiences in our lives, I believe it requires us to go and, um, if you like, grapple with God or wrestle with God in order to find breakthrough. Jesus fasted for 40 days in order to get more of God. He, he worked at something. He wrestled for that. We see in Jacob's life when he wrestles with God in Genesis 32, it gives us a picture of what it means to be sometimes in those moments to fight for something, for a blessing, for a breakthrough, for God to do something in our lives. But a word of warning for us when we come to wrestle with God, because sometimes we can think, oh, we can just say what we like to God. But actually, if you wrestle with God, a word of warning, God is very good at wrestling. He's very good. 
And so Jacob found this out all too well, that actually um, he, he wrestled with God and God touched his hip and for the rest of his life he walked with a limp. You see, when we wrestle with God, it causes us to walk with a limp. It changes something about us. Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 5 says, Who is this coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? There's a moment of time that takes place when we wrestle with God in order to come out of the wilderness that means that our dependence upon God has to increase. We walk with a limp in order to put our arm around God and to depend on him and to walk with him. A couple of years ago, I remember going into one of those moments of time, it's only about a few days a week, but this intense period where I felt like I was just in a dry season in a wilderness with God. Everything that I seemed to pray or worship or others have just felt stuck and static and pointless and um, just, just difficult, just felt really, really dry. And I remember going into the prayer room here in the church building and um, I just it was so churned up inside, God, I need you. But I feel so dry, I feel so distant from you. God, I need you. And I just lay on the floor in the, in the prayer room and just wept before God. God saying, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. And as I was lying there, I was, saying, I was crying out to God, saying, God, I need you. I need a revelation of who you are. I need something new of what you're doing in my life. And I felt God give me a revelation of him as my father, as Papa. And in that moment, a picture came to me of, of someone pouring a bucket of liquid love over me. And in that moment, it turned from weeping and tears to uncontrollable laughter. I was just laughing my head off. I could not control myself. I was on, the, on my own in the prayer room thinking, I think people in the corridor can hear me as I'm laughing, but I can't stop laughing because of this experience of the goodness and the love of God is so deep and rich and incredible. I FaceTimed Joy and my face looked a mess and was all puffy and I was laughing and couldn't really speak. And she was like, are you okay? It's like, I think I'm the best I've ever been. Because when we go into the wilderness moment, there's an opportunity for God to reveal who he really is to us. And as God revealed himself to me as my father, as my papa, there was a love of God that was just spilled over into my life that transformed who I am. You see, there's a, a moment that comes in wilderness and Moses is in that moment. He's in the wilderness. And he needs God. And God shows up to him in a burning bush. God comes to find him and God comes to get a hold of him. And as God does, Moses moves onto holy ground and then he realizes where he is and who's before him and he hides his face. You see, the presence and the glory of God is terrifying. Anybody who look biblically when they connect with God in that way and they see the presence of God or the glory of God, they're terrified. And then God states who he is and he calls himself, I am. He says, I am the great I am. And this I am statement becomes known by um, the Hebrews and the Israelite nation as um, essentially holding together the very essence of who God is at his foundation, that he's creator and sustainer of all life, that he's all powerful, um, that he's complete, that he's self-sufficient. All of these ideas are, are bound up in this phrase, I am. Jesus takes that I am and introduces seven statements about himself being I am, bread of life, light of the world. There's all sorts of ones that Jesus states, I am, I am, I am. And so this becomes the foundation of Moses' ministry and his life and his call to deliver the people of Israel. And so there's a table, um, which we're just going to see on the screen, which just summarizes um, what we've got from this passage in Exodus, that God comes to Moses, he introduces himself as the great I am. He's come to deliver the people of God. But Moses has to hide his face 
because God's come to deal with him and who he is. He's come to deal with the past and to move him into the future. And I believe God wants to do the same for you and for me. Our next passage is Exodus 33. So you can turn there or you can look at the screens for our next verses. We're going to read from Exodus 33 from verse 7 to 11. This is called the Tent of Meeting. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of Meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. God comes to Moses and begins to reveal himself in a brand new way, face to face, friend to friend. God comes to Moses and says, now I'm gonna be your friend. It's so incredible that as Moses goes to meet with God, all the people come out of their own tents to watch because how incredible it is when Moses meets with God. I felt God saying to me recently over the last couple of weeks, Paul, I want to shift your view of me to increase your view as my friend. God just keeps whispering to me, I'm your friend. I'm your friend. I'm your friend. See, I believe it's from this place of friendship and meeting face to face with God that we see God for who he really is and we encounter him. Now, I want to help us in terms of our faith to connect with God because Moses must have had great faith in this moment to go to that tent and to stand there and to meet with God face to face. But sometimes we can think we've got to muster or develop or grow faith for ourselves. We've got to say, I've got to get hold of faith. I've got to believe this for myself. I can, if I get enough energy or enough feeling, good feeling about it, then maybe I've got enough faith. Um, but N.T. Wright puts it this way, and you can see this on the screen. It's not great faith that you need. It's faith in a great God. Amen. I mean, I could almost just stop there. I mean, end of preach. It's faith in a great God. But I love this. This has really helped me. What matters is not where, sorry, faith is like a window through which you can see something. What matters is not whether the window is six inches um, feet high or what matters is the is the God that your faith is looking out on. If it's the creator God, the God active in Jesus and the spirit, then the tiniest peephole window will give you access to power like you've never dreamed of. Of course, this can never be used for your own whim or pleasure. You see, some of us have been trying to muster or grow and develop ourselves a little aspect of faith or a mustard seed of faith. But faith is the window through which to look upon a great God. Don't try and increase your faith, increase your view of who God is. Because we too can meet with someone as Moses did, as one meets with a friend face to face. Recently as I've unpacked some of this and sat with God in the presence of God, um, just in the mornings, I've just enjoyed um, being in the presence of God and meeting with him. And um, I've found that as I've done that, I've just had this, this glimpse beginning to open up, I believe, to see the glory of God. I've been asking God, God, I long to see your glory. I long to see your glory. 
And I get it why people then begin to describe God as indescribable. Because as I look at this, as it begins to open up, I see something that looks a little bit like fire. And it's like, um, it's glowing and it's hot and it's, it's moving, but it's not really like fire. And there's color and there's wisps and there's change and there's stuff taking place there. That literally in that moment, as I'm sat with God, it causes me to kind of almost take a breath in terms of, I don't know if I dare look, dare look any further. It's like almost begins to become a little bit terrifying as I'm like, I'm sat here, the presence of God is with me. Do I want to look a little bit further? And I get the sense and the whisper of God saying, Paul, I'm your friend. Come and look a little further into the presence, into the glory of God. John had a similar or better experience than that. And he recorded that in Revelation. And you can see this on the screen, but this was his description of what it was like to meet Jesus. You see, John, the disciple and apostle of Jesus, described himself as the best friend of Jesus. And the best friend of Jesus is invited by God the Father to come and see what Jesus is really like. And this is a description that he gives. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. There's a list of churches. And then I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his hand on me, his right hand on me, and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. What a view of Jesus. What a view of Jesus. I believe that's what Jesus is like right now. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This view of Jesus that John has is what Jesus is like right now. Some of us need to get an expanded view of Jesus away from the meek Jesus that's in Hollywood or in films or that we've made up in our heads because Jesus is all-powerful. He's the first and the last. He is the living one. His eyes are on fire. His face shines like the sun. He is incredible and glorious and wonderful. And yet he comes to you and me and says... I want to be your friend. Tozer puts it this way. You can see this on the screen. The whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe that we dwell under a friendly sky and that the God of heaven, although exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. God is eager today to be friends with you and with me. And he comes to Moses and he meets with him as one meets with a friend. Face to face. You see, Moses has moved from someone who had to hide his face to now standing with God and meeting face to face with him as a friend. He's connected with him. You can see the next part of the table um, coming up on the screen. See, the presence of God is all around Moses in that moment. And God meets with him and he encounters him and he says, you are my friend. Face to face to face there's a delight in the presence of God in the awareness of his love for us that we're loved and forgiven and set free and God says I am your friend it's incredible 
Does your view of Jesus and of God need to change? Do you need a shift in your understanding or your picture or your image that you've carried or that you've had for a little while of what God is like? Is there hope beginning to arise inside of you of God doing a new thing? You see, when we get a glimpse of what God is really like, it stirs a passion and a zeal inside of us for God and for what he is up to. Our final passage is from Exodus 34. And um, which is going to come up on the screen. And um, we're going to read a few verses just to, as God describes his name and what he's like. And we can see this progress in Moses' life. But I want to point out to us at this point, it's not a linear process. There's no formula to it. God is not going to come to us and reveal first I am, then friend, then he's going to give us his name. No, it's, this is all of this wrapped up together in loads and loads of different ways. It's not linear. There's no formula. God is interested in relationship with us. And so as we connect in relationship to him, he's going to take us on this journey. Exodus 34, 5 to 9. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favour favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin. Take us as your inheritance. The description of God here is absolutely brilliant. Of God's nature and his name. God is coming to reveal his name and what he's really like. Now it would take quite a long time to unpack this because of what God describes, but I want to recommend a book to you that you may like to read or put on your Christmas list. It's a book by a guy called John Mark Comer, and um, it's a book called God Has a Name. God Has a Name, and uh, just takes you through each of those words in turn to describe God. Because how's your view of God? Would you use words like compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, that God is loving, that he's forgiving, that he's just, that he's for us. So they are just our words that we would use to describe God today. I believe God wants to shift our view. He wants to increase it. He wants to upgrade it for the things that he is about to do. You see, there's no circumstance or problem or situation or issue in our life that God in his nature and character cannot be everything that we need for that moment. And so when we face those things, just as in the wilderness, God wants to reveal something new about his character. And so it may be today that you've got your facing things, you're going through health problems, or there's um, issues around finance or jobs or relationships. I believe God wants to reveal himself to us as everything we need in every situation that we face. He is the one that we need to look to. Mike Bickle says, our view of God and the image we carry with us changes everything. Knowledge of God is what fires the passion in our hearts. Knowledge of God is what fires the passion in our hearts. I believe that when we get a glimpse of what God is really like, it shifts our view of him. Now Moses' response is what I absolutely love. When he encounters God in this way, he just has to worship him. He falls on his face and worships God. And then he longs to be with him. He wants to worship him, but he wants to be with him. And so he says, God, if it's good to you, please come with us. We want to be with you. We want to be where you are. The second response is one of saying inheritance. Take us as your people. May we be your people. May we be known as yours. May we connect with you more deeply. And so firstly, relationship. Moses is desperate 
for God to go with them. He's desperate to be in the presence of God. And I believe that what God has done through his kindness and his grace in my life is awakened me to his presence and to his goodness. I just love being in the presence of God. I love connecting to him. I love worship and praise. And any opportunity to just sit and remember, right now I couldn't be more loved. I'm in the presence of God. I'm immersed in who he is and his nature. Acts 16 tells us that we live and move and have our being in God. Everything that I'm doing is in him. It's just wonderful. Now, one of the ways that I've um, discovered and worked on over the last um, couple of years in particular is a daily rhythm of an hour with God first thing in the morning. Connecting with God in that daily rhythm. Now, for, for many of us, in terms of conversation around discipleship or connection with God, uh, there has been a bit of a movement within church life to kind of say, well, God's everywhere. He's with us all the time. So we don't necessarily need that. It's not just about having an hour with God. And I would avoid using the word quiet time. My times with God aren't that quiet necessarily, and they're not still. You know, sometimes we can get this idea if I have a quiet time, I've got to sit still. If you're an extrovert, go and make some noise and paint something and go for a run and get into the presence of God because sitting down and having a quiet time is going to harm you if you're an extrovert. So don't do that. But um, do go and pursue God for who he is, for what he's um, doing in your life. Go and intentionally say, God, I want to be in your presence. I want to be with you. Get active in the way that you do that. One of the ways that I found really good is that hour in the morning with God, um, reading the word of God, praying, and then journaling. So those three things, the word of God, prayer, and then writing about what God is saying. About a year ago, I, just over a year ago, I started writing a journal. It took me a little while to get over my own insecurities and my own self about writing a journal, and, um, and, but I did. And um, what I found is just absolutely wonderful about looking back about what God has spoken to me about, the prayers that I've prayed, what I've written down. I was talking to Pete Atkins, um, some of you may know, he's another leader in the city, and he, um, church leader, and um, he says he's um, kept a journal every day for 25 years, and he loves looking back at different years of what God was saying and doing in his life. I love the thought that actually in each of our lives we get to build a history and a connection with God that works out over time. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to set aside an hour every day for the next 30 days. So if this isn't something you do, next 30 days, which takes us to Christmas Eve, so you can have a day off on Christmas Day. And um, it's a joke. And um, so we can, uh, although you can. And um, so for the next 30 days, I want you to, an hour, set aside an hour. That can be first thing in the morning, late at night, in the afternoon, whatever works for you, but an hour. And I want you to get your Bible open and to read, start with the Gospels. So start with one of the Gospels. Read a chapter from the Gospels, a psalm, a chapter from the Old Testament, and a chapter from the New Testament. And I want you to write about, as the Holy Spirit meets you, what things come to mind, what questions have you got, what do you learn what you love about what you've just read in terms of God and what he's up to and the nature of him. What speaks to you and your situation as you do that. And I just want you to write down, just imagine a page in an A5 um, journal, page a day, where you just write down some thoughts. This is what God is speaking to me about. This is what I've read. This is what I've learned. And I want you to do that for 30 days because I believe that as you write down at the end of each day some prayers, God, continue to do what you're doing in me. I wrote down some prayers in, um, in July that I love looking back on that were mostly just around God, show me your glory. God, I long to be in your presence. God, I long to know you more. 
And then I shared this story a few weeks ago, but I woke up on the 1st of October with God with the name Obed-Edom in my head. And Obed-Edom is a guy that spends three months in the presence of God as the Ark of the Covenant comes to be with him. I believe that's an answer to the prayer that God had already put in my heart in July. And as I look back, I'm like, God, you are so good. You are so incredible. It builds our faith for the things that we're praying about and encountering God in, God longs to do in our lives. So, now it might not be a full chapter. We're not going to be legalistic about those things. Sometimes it's only a few verses and God's just like, pow, just begins to speak about those things. But I want you to practice that. And as I've done that for the last year, I can look back at those things in November last year that God was speaking to me about. And it's just incredible to see what God has done and is doing in my life. God is looking to walk with us as we grow and as we learn with him. And as we record that, we're able to see our growth. And so I really want to impress that upon us and encourage us to do that. Pursue relationship with God and worship of him just as Moses did. And then Moses declares and says to God, take us as your inheritance. So the nation of Israel become the inheritance of God. And therefore, as the church of Jesus Christ, we become the inheritance of God. God. We become his inheritance. Now, if you think about an inheritance that's coming to you, we often think about finance. And um, in, our, in our culture, in our day and age, we think about inheritance being something that you receive at a certain point that brings perhaps some financial freedom or some help or some opportunity that comes with that. It's like a, an inheritance that's coming at a certain point. But what Moses is saying here is that he's saying actually to God, he's crying out to God and he's saying, God, will you view us as completely yours? When you receive an inheritance, you get hold of something that was once somebody else's. Now it's completely yours. And what Moses is saying is, God, come and take hold of us as a people that are completely yours. The same is true for you and for me. Then we say to God, God, we're your inheritance. You today our God's inheritance. The way that he views you and loves you and holds you and has chosen you is God saying you are mine eternally. He's got hold of you. We are the inheritance of God. I also believe then that that works a different way because my starting place is there's an inheritance that I have because of what God has said about me. But there's an inheritance in this city of people that don't yet know Jesus of people that are his, that are chosen, that are called, that are loved, the people of Lincoln that need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And I love this story because as we see towards the end here, Moses then um, meets with God in this moment as, as God passes him and speaks his name. A few verses down, you can read in your Bibles, Moses then comes down from the mountain and doesn't realise it yet, but having been in the presence of God, his face is now shining. The glory of God is now upon him. The one who was hiding his face now has a face that's shining bright. And people are like, whoa, will you hide your face because it's too glorious for us to look upon. I just wonder what begins to take place when we get a true glimpse of what God is like and reveal him to the world around us. When we get hold of the glory and the nature and the character and the wonder of who God is, and then we begin to express that to the world. Jesus said in John 17, as he prayed his final prayer, I came to make you known. 
And as we are known by God and we are his, in his inheritance, I believe the call on our lives is then to make the true, living, wonderful, good, glorious, incredible, indescribable God known to the world around us. We're called to do that. And so as we get hold of this, we do this in all sorts of ways. I believe the way that we live and work and act, the way that we relate, the way that we use finance, everything becomes impacted by the glory and the goodness of God when we get just one glimpse of him. I've just become a parent governor at the school in our village because I want to bring the good news of Jesus, passion for those kids, that actually they can get a great start, they can learn well, they can have a great school, because I believe there's something that I can bring, that I can add to that. There's some, in small ways, little ways, big ways, there's opportunities for us to bring the goodness of God. Mike Bickle puts it this way, you can see on the screen. The great need of the church is to see, know, and discover the indescribable glory of who God is. Seeing the heart, mind, and character of God will cure our compromise and instability and motivate us to righteousness and holy passion. Personal, experiential knowledge of the person of Jesus will fuel obedience and zeal. It will put a stop to our restlessness and discontent. A new depth of intimacy with him will extinguish our boredom and capture our hearts. Just a glimpse of him. Just a glimpse of him. We don't need great faith. We need faith in a great God. And I want to encourage us today to begin to shift our view of who he is. So that as we meet with him and encounter him and know him, we can be people that show who God really is and his glory and his goodness to the world around us. We're here to make God known. And just as Moses' face was radiant with the goodness and the glory of God, we get the opportunity to reveal the true nature of God to the world around us. Wherever you're placed, wherever you are, at 11 a.m. tomorrow morning, I want you to be reminded, I'm here to show the goodness and the glory of God to the world around me. Let's pray together. We're going to pray in a couple of ways, and the first way we're going to do that is um, to read a prayer that's going to come up on the screen, and then we're going to pray for a shifting view of who God is. So we're going to read this prayer out loud together, and, um, and then we're going to, um, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes, and as you close your eyes, um, just in that moment, if you've prayed this prayer for the first time, you want to open your life to Jesus, the magnificence and the glory of God over your life. I'd love to invite you, as everyone's got their eyes closed, to raise your hand to say yes to him, to connect with him. And then someone will drop a booklet into your hand and help you on your journey. But let's, let's read this prayer out loud together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're here today and you're praying this prayer for the first time, as everyone's got their eyes closed, I want to invite you now to respond to God and to his goodness and his magnificence. Great, if you want to raise your hand, That'll be great. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Anybody else here today? 
Wonderful, that's great. It's the best decision you can make. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. We're going to sing in a moment's time, but I just want to invite us. I just want to pray that prayer of Moses. God, show us your glory over our lives. And I want to ask us if there's places where we need a shift and an upgrade and a change in our view of God, where we've boxed him or limited him or looked to contain him or we've had an old view of who he is and what he's like. And so Holy Spirit, I pray you come in this place and that you'd move in power. And God, I ask, show us your glory. Show us your glory. I pray God for a glimpse of who you really are to fire our zeal and passion for you. And so Dave and the band are just going to play over us for a moment before we sing. I just want to allow you some time with God, in the presence of God. Let him give you a glimpse of his glory and his goodness, his majesty. purpose and actions spring from himself. Without foreign motive or influence, he who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely perfect and eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing that has been made, illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence and indescribable in his essence, known fully only by himself because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. In a word, a being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived and from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just, right and kind. God, I pray you give us a glimpse of your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. The band are going to sing over us. You can feel free to stand or sit and just enjoy the presence of God. But let's let these words wash over us today. <laughs> 